Welcome to the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast. This podcast is sponsored by my supporters on Patreon and by B Books, publisher of A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, which is now available in print, ebook, and audiobook. B Books also publishes climate smart romance novels by Tara L. Roy. Learn more at bbooks.org. You'll also get free climate smart downloads, including tips for weathering drought and flood, and the Farm Emergency Preparedness Plan. When you subscribe to BeeBooks newsletter, sign up at beebooks.org, beebooks.org. I'm your host, author and multimedia artist, Rebecca L. Fraser, and I'm excited to share this episode of the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast with you. So let's dig into it. Chapter 17. Learning from Weeds Weeds cause 34% of losses in global crop production. As climate disruption intensifies, weed pressure is expected to increase. Higher temperatures and changes in precipitation patterns are already creating new conditions worldwide. While higher levels of carbon dioxide can boost growth and yields in some crops, Rising atmospheric carbon dioxide can also make the widely used herbicide glyphosate less effective and actually boost weed growth, adding to the potential for increased competition between crops and weeds. Several weed species benefit more than crops from higher temperatures and carbon dioxide levels. These include kudzu, a vine that attacks trees and shrubs, Johnson grass, which attacks numerous crops, Morning glory annual vines, which attack trees, shrubs, field, and vegetable crops, and velvet leaf, the bane of corn. Your immediate concern is, of course, managing or eliminating weed pressure this season. You can also benefit from connecting with ag extension programs, researchers at land grant universities, and other resources to learn what to expect from weeds in the changing climate and to adapt. The first step is to define the term weed. Today, farmers are growing naturalized and native species as crops. Dandelion greens and burdock are two examples of plants commonly known as weeds that are now cultivated commercially. Both crops command prices comparable to other health products and sell in health food stores like Whole Foods and in major grocery store chains like Hannaford and Stop and Shop. Cornell University weed ecologist Antonio Di Tommaso says a weed is any plant that is out of place and competes with the cash crop for resources. Sweet corn that pops up in a field of broccoli could be considered a weed. Thus, my crop may be your weed and vice versa. Managing Weeds According to a report released by the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, herbicides have become the tool of choice in intensive farming because the weed control effect of tillage has proven to be insufficient in the long term. The problem of tillage is that by creating a good seedbed for the seeds, it creates the same condition for the weeds. While weed seeds are buried deeply with the moldboard plow, 
the same plow brings to the surface the weed seeds that had been buried the season before. Weeds propagating through sprouts or roots can even be multiplied by tillage implements, which only cut and mix them with the soil, so that the number of potential weed plants is increased. Through soil, carried with tillage implements from one field to another, the weed population is also spread throughout the entire farmland. Tilling for weed control is not the ultimate answer. It is often not necessary to eradicate the weeds completely, but only to avoid the setting of seeds and competition with the crop. Leaving weeds in a crop at a stage where the crop can suppress them and where there is no damage or problem for the harvest can help with managing other pests, such as termites or ants, which in the absence of weeds would damage the crop. According to Di Tommaso, weeds can also protect and restore soil and effectively provide what he calls surgery when areas are torn up, burned, or otherwise altered. Completely non-chemical weed control is possible according to the FAO. As reported in earlier chapters, such practices are already successfully applied in commercial farming. Weed germination declines in soil that has not been tilled for several years. The superficial weed seed bank depletes. If no new seeds are added, seeds still remaining in the soil will not germinate as they will not receive the light stimulus or soil temperature fluctuations needed for germination. This happens because crop leaves filter out specific wavelengths of light that tell the weeds in the soil it is not in their best interest to germinate. Di Tommaso explained, it turns off a specific pigment, a phytochrome, from turning germination on and indicates to the weed seeds, if you germinate, you'll have to compete with this crop above you. In bare, pristine soil, that light is not intercepted and the entire visible wavelength goes right through. That's why I encourage vegetable growers who want to know how to manage weeds to minimize how much bare soil is there and limit the amount of time bare soil is there, Di Tommaso said. If you've planted and you know you have weed seeds there, try to get the soil covered as fast as possible by either the crop leaves or by a cover crop. The weed seeds can detect the difference in how much far infrared light is getting through. You need to know we're not just saying grow cover crops to physically keep weeds out, but also to reduce their germination. That's important. Di Tommaso studies the impact of climate disruption, principally temperature and precipitation alterations, on the impact of weeds in both cropping systems and natural areas. The increased frequency of extreme weather events, heavy rainfall, early frost, warm spells in the Northeast, interest the researcher because such events are difficult to defend against. How do weeds compete with crops during extreme events, he asked. I'm looking at species that are a southern weed species like sorghum halepense, also called Johnson grass, and Ipomoea heteracea, I believe morning glory. These are major weeds in the south and mid-Atlantic crops. Our concern is with warmer temperatures, they'll be able to establish in places like the northeast where they previously didn't do well. These species are more able to adapt to extremes than crops. Johnson grass is a perennial weed that's closely related to sorghum. In northern United States and Canada, it's adapted to the colder climate by becoming an annual plant. 
in the southern region, it's still a perennial that survives by spreading rhizomes. In the north, it survives by seed. Di Tommaso said, This ability to adapt to a new environment and eventually proliferate in it is something we should be looking for. I look at weeds as a genetic resource for us because usually their genetics aren't very restricted. Many of our crops are the same hybrid and the same line, so if it's susceptible to disease, we lose everything. Weed species, even individuals within the same species, can have very different genetics, like an apple tree. We have to graft it if we want to get the same apple. Di Tommaso is not a breeder, but he has been encouraging his colleagues who are breeders to ask, what can we learn from these highly adaptable weeds that can help our crops? He said, if one looks at what makes weeds what they are, their ability to adapt, particularly in agricultural systems, to disturbance is impressive. Traits like fast growth, ability to grow in soils of differing fertility, drought tolerance, and resistance to certain diseases and insect pests have been bred out of crops through over-domestication as breeders focused mostly on yield. But Di Tommaso said, these traits that make these plants so problematic might be some things that plant breeders should be thinking about. They're wild relatives of our crops. There's something to be said about having some weeds around still. They do contain some traits that hopefully we'd be able to incorporate in some of our crops. What I learned from my conversation with Antonio Di Tommaso has stayed with me for years. Prior to our chat, I hadn't considered that weeds, the bane of all farmers, could actually be a resource for produce growers. For me, the key takeaways of this episode are repeated in episode 19, which I can't wait for you to hear. Those are working with nature is one of the biggest ways to succeed in farming. Disrupting the land as little as possible enhances system health. And it's not only possible, but profitable to learn from the wild relatives of our favorite crops. So next time, we'll talk about preparing slow-growth crops for the changing climate and how California almonds have been thriving despite years of drought in their growing region. Thanks for listening to the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like my book, A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, now available in ebook, print, and audiobook. To support this podcast and my other creative endeavors for as little as $1 a month, please visit patreon.com forward slash Rebecca L. Fraser. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.